We might have just made it through one state of emergency, but now, thanks to ESCOM, there's talk of another. The ANC National Executive Committee met over the weekend where they discussed strategies to solve the country's energy crisis. Some members suggested an urgent state of emergency to fast-track energy procurement and soften the load-shedding burden on South Africans. This after the country was plunged into stage 6 load-shedding last week amidst an illegal wage strike by ESCOM employees across nine stations. Under stage 6 load shedding, 6,000 megawatts needs to be shed from the country's electricity system, leaving many without electricity for as much as 8 hours a day. I'm Amy Gibbings, a journalist for News24's multimedia department, and you're listening to The Story. This week we'll be discussing all aspects to blame for ESCOM's failure to meet the country's energy demand with Fin24 writer-at-large Carol Payton. We'll also discuss the workers' strike and how it impacted capacity. We'll then hear from energy analyst Chris Yelland on how we got to where we are and possible solutions that could help alleviate the crisis. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard and uncovered this week. Hello, Carol. Thank you for joining us today. You've just written a very thorough and detailed article explaining who is to blame for load shedding, especially focusing on which ministers didn't do what. It was very detailed, so maybe you could break down to our audience where Minister of Energy and Mineral Resources, Gwede Mentashe, failed to act within his mandate to secure energy for the country. Right. Well, he is the only person, he's the only person in the entire country who has the power to actually procure more energy because it's a legislative process, it's a legal process, he's got a call for it. And um, he didn't do that. And he had several opportunities to do that. But at each opportunity that people urged him and said, please, can you procure more power? He delayed and he delayed and he delayed. So back in um, so back in 2019, when, when Mr. Mantashe became the Minister of Energy, he, he produced an, in, an, an integrated um, resource plan, which is the plan for the country's energy needs. And that showed that South Africa had at least a four to 6,000 megawatt shortfall. So at that time, his officials said they will procure an emergency round. Now, that emergency round, because of various things that the department and that he did, um, he made it a very complicated process. He, he actually designed this tender for um, gas or gas power ships. So it wasn't designed to do the quickest thing possible. So what's happened now is if you follow the power ship issue, um, that thing is snarled up in court. So we still don't have the emergency power that he said he was going to procure in 2019. So three years later, we would actually have had, if, it had, if he had just said, let's build some solar farms and let's build some wind farms, um, those wind farms and solar farms would be up by now. And the same thing goes for sort of subsequent rounds of, of procurement, where he was urged to do it, do it, do it. And he said, don't rush me, I won't be rushed. Um, and then eventually, a year later, he, he procured, he put out the bid. So those bids, the, we call them bid window five and bid window six, those bids are not yet, they haven't even got to the stage where they will start building. They're still sort of under under sort of uh, negotiation. So um, we far, we could have been way, way further along the line than we are now. 
if if he had just acted faster. Why was he so stubborn in his dealings with getting us energy as, as quick as possible? It's one thing that affects everybody in the country equally. Why, why was he slow in, in making this happen? And, you know, it's long known that he has his love affair with Cole and he's always defended Cole. What is actually going on here? So that's exactly, you know, part of the problem. He had his own idea of how this should be done. So when everyone was saying to him, listen, just take the quickest route, he said, no, I've got my own idea. My own idea is better for the country. And his own idea was that we were going to continue to build new coal-powered fire stations. That was the one issue, and that is in that plan that he that I spoke about. And the second Second issue was that he he wanted to bring in gas on a large scale. Now, the difficulty with that um, is that we don't have any gas infrastructure. So there are no pipelines and and so on to to pipe gas to to power stations or to even we don't have a source of gas as yet as South Africa. So that's a long process. So he was determined to do to do these things. And that's what delayed it so much. And um, and made it yeah and and made it impossible to move forward because he was quite determined to do it his own way. Who's advising the minister, and, and what is his his apprehension with renewable energy? It's certainly the most sustainable option, and where we would like to think the world is moving. So, what was his apprehension? I think his apprehension is that, um, well, he's, he's under, his apprehension is, is that he feels that there is, and there is a renewable energies lobby, a strong one. You've got people who are in the business, and you've also got, um, you know, lots and lots of young people who are saying, no, we want we want green energy, and not so young people. But um, so, so he felt he was being pressurized and lobbied by these lobbies, and that he didn't want and he refused to, to, to be lobbied. The other issue is an ideological issue. So he likes the idea that that ESCOM should produce all the power. He likes this idea of a big state-owned um, utility that supplies the energy to the whole country. He likes it for ideological reasons. He doesn't like the idea of all these little producers you know, privately owned, private enterprise type producers building wind farms, building solar farms, and then and then becoming part of the the generation um, generation and distribution industry. He doesn't like that. So so that was his other objection. It didn't fit with his vision of of the kind of South Africa and the kind of economy he would like to see. Yes, it's it's almost like we suffer at the foot of his stubbornness. You, you then talk about Praveen Gordon and his failure to appoint an experienced and qualified board at ESCOM. And we've also heard recently after the ANC-NEC meeting over the weekend that members are pushing to have ESCOM move from the Department of Public Enterprises, which is Praveen's department, to the Department of Energy. What does that necessarily help with being moved to another state department? What's the point of that? It, it wouldn't help. So, um, look, I mean, you know, Mantashe is not the only one to, to who should take some responsibility for, for the mess. And Praveen Gordon does have some responsibility. Um, he hasn't moved as he could have done. ESCOM has got a very small board now. There are only six people left on it. There isn't a single engineer on that board. It doesn't have enough expertise. It doesn't have enough capacity to, to for, for an organization. So he should have 
he should have renewed or augmented or replaced that board several years ago, and he hasn't done it. Um, and and I think that, you know, underlying that are a whole lot of political tensions, ANC deployment, detentions, etc. So so that's possibly my theory as to what, what the reason is. But when it comes to this thing that came out of quite strongly at the ANC meeting, that uh, ESCOM should be moved, that, that is really just a proxy argument for the factional politics of the ANC. So the factional politics of the ANC, as we know, we've got these RET, these radical economic transformation people, and they, if there's one person they detest, they detest Praveen Gordon. So he is their number one whipping boy. So they like for him to be blamed for the whole energy crisis, and they deflect it completely away from Bantashe. And this thing, in fact, wasn't even, from in my information, wasn't even... It wasn't even that strong at the meeting. It didn't come out in the ANC statement in the end that 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 ESCOM should be moved. It's 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 just a proxy factional battle to try and get at Praveen Gordon, undermine him, undermine Ramaphosa, um, and so on. It's not it's not it's there's no kind of thought out uh, argument within it to say this is why it would be better it, it wouldn't be better it, it would not be better it would not necessarily be better at all it could possibly be worse okay and the wage strike a seven percent increase was finally agreed upon by all the constituents but this will cost escom who are already facing 400 billion rand debt another one billion rand to its wage bill how do we continue buying diesel and running stations when we are in so much debt? How much longer can we actually continue? Well, ESCOM can't actually, hasn't been able to continue for some years now. So so if ESCOM wasn't getting um, bailouts every year from the Treasury, who were paying off its debt for it, um, ESCOM would be in default, which would mean ESCOM without that support is insolvent. So, so actually, it stopped being able to do that a long, a long time ago. Now, so, so, so the fact that ESCOM keeps on now is forced to buy diesel, um, is forced into situations where it, it can't really, it's, it's desperate to make coal contracts, and our electricity therefore gets more and more expensive is part of the problem. And then when there's load shedding and they're already burning diesel, but they're not selling electricity, that puts their, their financials into even a worse a worse crisis. So ESCOM can't go on like that. It, it's only continuing like that because it's getting financial support from the Treasury. And um, hopefully the Treasury are going to take some action at some point. Um, this is another issue that has been long, long outstanding. So it's going to take some action fairly soon to to resolve that problem of ESCOM's massive debt. Carol, where do you see us going from from here? Well, look, the, the, we had a very important point. We had a very crucial point at which we need government because they are the only ones who can do this. We need government to come out and say, um, we've heard you, we understand, we're going to do it. We're going to build 10,000 uh, megawatts of of electricity of of renewable electricity and five and five thousand megawatts of, of of battery storage and that that is what everybody is saying should be done and I'm sure you'll hear from Chris Yelland who has proposed exactly that that that's where we should go so government's got a choice now it could do that and it might do that it might do something similar to that in the next day or two but um, we don't know so. Um, 
we we kind of at a point where where everyone actually the more people who who insist and demand kind of action from government the better because that's that's what really needs to happen here i suppose we have to wait and see thank you for your insights and your excellent journalism carol that was carol payton writer at large for fin24 we're now joined by energy analyst from EE Business Intelligence, Chris Yelland. Good morning, Chris. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Good morning to you. Chris, how did we get here? There was obviously the illegal wage strike, which impacted capacity and sent us into stage six. But some experts think we were heading in that direction anyway. Well, yeah, we've been experiencing load shedding on and off um, since 2008. So there is a long history to all of this. And what we've just seen recently with the um, uh, labor dispute and the industrial action really just comes on top of everything else. Things are now hopefully going to revert back to the normal. And the normal is what we had before this industrial action, which was between stage two and stage four load shedding intermittently. And uh, at stage six load shedding we had in uh, 2019, December 2019. So uh, the underlying problems, um, you know, have got nothing to do with this current uh, wage dispute. So there's a long, long history to all of this, and I don't want to go all the way back to the beginning, but um, uh, in short, uh, the new Madupi and Kusili power stations, total of 9,600 megawatts, should have been on the grid by the end of 2015, both of those units running well as new plants should with an availability factor of 85 to 90%. The reality at the moment is that while Madupi is basically complete, one of the units is down uh, for an extended period of two years because it exploded and the remaining units are performing rather poorly and have required design modifications uh, to resolve these technical problems, design problems, execution problems. The situation at Kusili is much worse. It is only half complete, even though it's running seven years late, and that which has been completed is performing worse than some of the very worst old power stations in Eskimoquart. So, uh, instead of having, um, uh, you know, uh, 9,600 megawatts of reliable capacity on the grid, uh, we've got less than half of that. If that was performing as it should have been performing, we wouldn't have load shedding today. So that's one contributing factor. The next thing to note is that during the period of Mr. Malefi and Mr. Coco, the Renewable Energy IPP program was stopped in its tracks uh, for about five years, and this prevented a whole lot of new generation capacity from coming on stream. A recent study by Meridian Economics has indicated that using real data from last year, if we had had 5,000 megawatts of wind and solar, which was part of that uh, renewable energy IPP program that should have been on stream last year, had that been on stream, load shedding would have been reduced uh, by 95%. In other words, virtually eliminated. So that's another contributing factor. The mismanagement blocking of those uh, renewable energy IPP projects by Malefi and Coca uh, during those years. The next thing, of course, uh, is new generation capacity from the so-called risk mitigation IPP program. The renewable energy IPP program, since Mr. Gwedi Mantash has taken over as minister, has been very significantly delayed. It's running late, very late. 
So, for example, in 2019, December, the president of South Africa was recalled from Egypt due to stage six load shedding in South Africa, and he had a media briefing and he announced that there would be a procurement of 2,500 megawatts of new generation capacity, a so-called emergency risk mitigation IPP program. Well, that was in December 2019, and two and a half years later, they haven't even placed the order. Uh, and it's going to take you know some time before that can be brought to the grid. So that's another contributing factor. Lastly, you know, the mismanagement of Eskom's finances to the extent where they are financially unsustainable. They have a debt service cover ratio of about 50%, which means that their net operating income after all expenses can only service 50% of their debt service commitments. They can only continue operations through regular bailouts of 50 billion rand a year from government. Uh, they don't have the money to do what they should be doing. Uh, even in proper maintenance, they don't have the money to do what they should be doing. So all of these things come together. They all contribute to where we are now. Bottom line is we're in the midst of load shedding at the moment, stage five, I think it is today, uh, four or five, somewhere around there. And um, and it's not going to go away if we continue doing what we have been doing for the last 10 years things will only get worse, significantly worse. If you would look at Meridian Economics' study, Part B, which doesn't look at the past, it looks at the future, uh, the future few years, and it points to a very fast-growing load shedding in the years ahead unless we take immediate action. How much energy do we require daily in the country to avoid load shedding completely? And by how much are we falling short of that, if we just had to put it in simple numerical terms? First of all, let's talk about capacity first, and then we'll talk about energy. Uh, stage four load shedding, or stage five load shedding, let's say, is what we're having now, uh, represents 5,000 megawatts of capacity shortfall. In other words, at the moment, demand is exceeding supply by 5,000 megawatts, which means they have to switch off 5,000 megawatts because demand and supply need to be in balance all the time. So from a capacity point of view, it's um, 5,000 megawatts shortage at the moment. It varies day by day depending on what plants are broken down and what plants are available. But right now, today, we're 5,000 megawatts short. At the moment, demand for electricity is around about 32,000 megawatts. This might be a slightly naive or uninformed question, but why do these structures require so much maintenance all the time? Well, uh, it's not that they need maintenance all the time, but they need regular maintenance following a prescribed maintenance plan. So when you buy a car, they give you a service manual if you read the service manual, it will tell you that at 10,000 kilometers, you've got to send your car in and you've got to do this, 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 and this. At 20,000, you've got to send your car in and you've got to do a few more things. At every 10,000, whatever it is, you've got to send your car in, you've got to do that service. And then every now and again, they have to do a major service. Change the cam belt, do this, do that. You might have to change your four tires. Um, etc. So it's not that you're doing maintenance all the time, but you have to do it regularly, even when the plant is new. 
Even when your car has reached its first 10,000, remember a car is going to do 200, 300,000 kilometers. But after the first 10,000, you've got to do certain things. You've got to change the oil filter, change the air filter. And, you know, whatever you've got to do, it's in the service book. It's exactly the same with a power plant. When you buy a power plant, there are certain service intervals and there are certain things that you've got to do. And if you don't do them, the manufacturer says, I wash my hands of you. So I'm assuming what's happened in this case is perhaps those service manuals weren't followed to a T and now that we've done, so to speak, 200,000 kilometers, we're having very major issues. That's exactly it. So services were skipped. Service intervals were skipped. They didn't have the money. They sometimes didn't have the space to do that maintenance. In other words, demand was such and if they were to switch off a generator to do the necessary maintenance, we would have had more load shedding. So to try and avoid load shedding, they rather skip a maintenance. Well, that comes back to bite you. The, the important thing is when you skip a maintenance on your car, the wheels don't fall off. You can carry on driving. If you do it two or three times, you care. But one of those days, it's going to break down while you're going up Van Rienen Pass on a steep hill on the way back from Durban and uh, you're trying to get home fast and break down when you least want it. And that's what's happening. The chickens have come home to roost, I suppose. Fortunately. Chris, what could we do to reach the capacity that we need? I know you've put forth some proposals of plans that we can put in place. Can you just give us a breakdown of what we can do to alleviate this crisis? Yeah, and also what we can't do. It's very tempting, you know, because if you look at the availability and the amount of broken down plant there's to say, let us just get this broken down plant working properly again. Let us uh, improve the availability, which is currently running at about 60%. If we can get it up to 80% or 70%, we can bring back onto the grid a whole lot of generation capacity that already exists. It's already there. It's built. It's just broken down. So let's do some very intensive maintenance, fix this plant, and get it to be more reliable. And it's very tempting to, 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 to say that, and they've been doing that for the last 10 years. But it's not working. Why is it not working? Well, firstly, we don't have the space to do this deep-level maintenance. If you want to do this deep-level maintenance, you think you're going to improve the availability, but you've got to switch off plant in order to do the maintenance. It means more load shedding, not less. So right now, Eskom is cutting back on maintenance while it's got 5,000 megawatts of load shedding on the go because if it did maintenance at the levels that it should be doing, we would probably have stage eight load shedding. So they, the point of that, you have to have sufficient excess generation capacity in order to have the space to do maintenance properly. And in South Africa, we don't have that reserve margin We've run the plant to the ground to the extent where we no longer have a reserve margin. So if we want to do maintenance, we've got to switch off operating generators. We don't have spare generating capacity that we can use while we're doing maintenance on the whole plant. Not only that, but these generators have been so abused in the past uh, and so damaged through pushing them too hard and uh, operating them beyond their limits and not doing the service that, and I'm sorry to use this word, but they are buggered up. It's like having an old car that is so damaged due to neglect 
that it is better just to buy a new car. And we're at that stage now because much of this old plant that has been abused and poorly maintained and skipped services, etc., etc., has actually reached the end of its commercial life. Spares are no longer easily available, and uh, they have to rob one to fix another and this sort of thing. And um, at some point, you get diminishing returns from maintenance. You spend more, but you get less, and you get into the cycle of diminishing returns. So we're at that stage now. The best that you can hope for with maintenance is to put South Africa's generation capacity into a holding pattern so that the availability doesn't get worse. At the moment, it's getting worse by 2 to 3% a year, the availability. So we used to have a 70% availability, then went to 67, then 64, getting lower and lower. Currently, it's around about 60%. And the shortened tall of it is that the most you can hope for with maintenance right now on this old plant is to stabilize the availability at the current low level. And that's not good enough. So we're going to need new generation capacity to replace this old generation capacity. And this new generation capacity has reached such a stage now that there's a gap. And it's quite a challenge just to close that gap, number one. And then that's not enough either. Just closing the gap is not enough. You need generation reserves. You need more than just what you need. You need some spare so that you can do the maintenance properly. So not only do we have to fill the gap that has arisen, we have to build some generation reserves in order to maintenance at the right levels. So that's the answer, new generation capacity to replace old generation capacity. And what we need is new generation capacity that performs like new generation capacity. Not new generation capacity with design defects that performs worse than the old stuff. If we, if the Dupi and Kosidi are not helping the problem, they're actually worsening the problem. Thank you for your very interesting insights and expertise, Chris. That was energy analyst Chris Yelland. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Amy Gibbings, producer and host of The Story. Join us next Saturday for a discussion on the week's biggest story.